welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Our desire at Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois, is to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to our guest minister for today. So this question to start with is very much like a press corps person. (laughs) Break the ice and here we go. (laughs) It's growing. Praise God. Um, In that it's not just a question. It's multiple questions. And that's awesome because then there can be depth to the answer. It's a a really important uh, question because it spoke about a lot. There's a lot of books written about Why do we fast? Great question. Why did we do anything in the flesh walking out this journey with Christ? First and foremost, it's all a matter of the heart. So we don't do it to get. Yes. We do it to receive. Okay? Matthew 17, 20, and 21, please. While we're going there, there's 17 mentions of fasting in the King James. Nine in the old, seven in the new. So it's kind of a big deal. If you don't think it's for today, I'd encourage you to think and pray and ask Holy Spirit to lead you into that. I think one of the other big parts that's misunderstood about flesh or about fasting in the flesh is that it means only food. When indeed anything that you do that puts your flesh in submission to the Spirit of God and the Spirit that's in you is indeed fasting. I know I've heard Pastor Steve say, I was on a fast and the Lord said, fast TV. Do you know how many years that percolated in my spirit? I think that was in your living room. Yeah, That was 15 or 20 minutes ago. And then the Lord started percolating in that spirit of mine to fast TV, just fast TV. Now, in my world, looking back at that, that was really Jehovah sneaky. Because I'm done with it. And I understand so much more about why I'm done with it now. But I wasn't a TV junkie. Oh, but Lord. I, you know, it's an hour here, 45 minutes there. It's, the, it's not it wasn't really an issue. I'm just being real. It wasn't. So on went the debate. Anybody else debate with the Lord on when he's moved? Yeah, for real. Right? Yeah, we do. It's okay. There's grace. I want to move when he says move. I didn't with the TV. But praise God that it's out of my life for almost a year. More time for him. More time for being a king and a priest. More time in the word, more time in prayer, more time to get things done in the natural that need to be done because I'm not sucking up an hour or 20 minutes. Okay. So, Matthew 17, 20, and 21. And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, 
For verily I say unto you, if ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall be removed, and nothing shall be impossible for you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but prayer and fasting. Now Jesus was talking to the disciples who had come back to him and said, how come we can't cast those demons out? Can we go back to identity for a minute? They really didn't know who they were fully yet and the power and authority that was in them from the Father. And Jesus was saying, how about dying to your flesh some more through fasting and prayer? The first time that fasting was used biblically was in Psalm 109.24. Psalm, my knees are weak through fasting and my flesh faileth of fatness. So there was physical attributes going on, right? And in that In the Greek there, it was used tisum, which was literally just fasting. In Matthew 15.32, it's mestis, which is not eating, absent from food, religiously. Pay attention to the religious portion of this, because that's not where we're at in any way, shape, or form. It's not because we have to. It's because we're being led to to kill our flesh more like Jesus told his disciples. In Acts 10.30, it's neseto, which is to abstain from food, to fast. Acts 27.33, it's a tis, which is without food. In the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, it's also referred to in covering your mouth. Kind of like being masked, which I found a crazy correlation. But literally, that's from a religious standpoint how serious they were about not consuming food. They covered their mouth and didn't consume food and got to a place where their bodies felt pain. They were weak in the knees. That entire time doing it for a religious purpose. Not taking that time to spend more time and diving in deeper with our Father in prayer and fasting. So if we talk about application of the actual process of fasting, it's first led by the Holy Spirit again. It's Amen. Now, I'll tell you that Steve asked us to fast and pray not long ago regarding our nation and our world. And I was honored, based on the Holy Spirit, going, yep, get it? I heard my father say, yep, do. I was honored to stand alongside of him. One word of encouragement, and we stood together in unity of the Spirit on a topic. Our nation and our world. Okay. 
It's all a matter of the heart. So we can't be, this so bears repeating, it can't be something we do to get. No different than presenting our tithes and offerings. It can't be a whiff of legalism or don't touch it. Yeah. And again, for me, that's that constant communication that we live in. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Because I may have a thought and talk about it for a minute or... Okay, so with TV, it was probably three months, two and a half months. But I knew I wasn't doing it from legalism. It was him. That's really important in fasting. I hope that all makes sense. Um, did you read the question? Why do we fast? Out loud. Oh, I thought I Okay. Did, did he? Why do we fast? Okay, good. Okay. But there's also a couple of questions after that. Yeah. And it's why do we fast? How do we fast? Does it have to be all day or several days or can it be just one meal? Are we supposed to spend the time praying when we are not eating? Um, and the reason I read the whole question was um, sometimes uh, we like to put things in a little checklist, in a little box. Okay, so if I, if I know the why and I know the how and, okay, so it's all day and it's, is it food? And, okay, so when I'm not eating, I'm supposed to be doing this. So, yeah, okay, one through five. I got it check mark off the list. And there is zero, there's no formula to fasting. You know, just like Pastor Bob said, it is Holy Spirit-led. It is you having that conversation with the Father and Him dropping in your heart. You know what? You know what, Bob? You know, that thing he said about fasting TV? I want you to, you you know, consider that. You know, He's going to drop it in our hearts. And just like Bob said, it's not, it's not necessarily always food. Right. It's not. Um, I will say they probably didn't have some of the distractions we have with all these electronic devices and TVs Absolutely. and things. Um, yeah. There is a way that... Uh, Fasting takes our focus off the wrong thing. You know, just in the scriptures in Matthew, those um, disciples were focused on what they saw. Right. When they were trying to cast that demon out of that boy. They, They were seeing something, and that was a distraction to them. And so they had to bring the boy to Jesus. Fasting is a way to, to take some distractions out of our lives. Whether it's our flesh distracting us, whether it's TV distracting us, whether it's being attached to always responding to this thing all the time. Me and Tom were just talking about this. Every time it dings or, or rings or, you know, beeps. Sometimes we just need to put this over here and say, you know what? At the end of the day, I'll check my messages. At the end of the day, I will respond to my, my texts. Like this, this, is, this is a big distraction for most of us. Because we think, oh, somebody needs something. Somebody needs me. Somebody, what if work, work. I'm not saying don't do your job. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, We have to have that balance. We have to have the Father showing us that balance and saying, Father, what is distracting me? What do I need to lay aside? 
what do I need to stop doing altogether? You know, there are things in our lives that are distracting to us, and, and fasting is a, is a way to get those distractions put in the place they're supposed to Amen. be. Amen. 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 Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All, above all, that's all. Yeah. For real. Yeah. And, and, and the Holy Spirit, in his kind, gentle, loving way, it's not some... Boom, you got to do that. That's not it mm-hmm. at all. It's not it at all. And, and the benefits from it. Like, I don't think I've, well, when someone does it right, that sounds bad. But I, you never walk away from fasting thinking, oh, that, was a, that was a waste of my time. There's always something that God has for you in that place of fasting. Always. 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 That there is something that you are going to, like when that distraction's gone. There's that revelation, there's that understanding, there's that breakthrough, there's that aha moment of... For for me, when I fast food and my body is screaming, I'm hungry! Anybody know I like food? (laughs) So it's not only consuming the food, it's preparing the food, it's cleaning up Mm -hmm. time, it's a lot of time. Yeah. Right? Okay. So in those moments when that's happening... I'm just praising the Lord for having control over my flesh, telling those hunger pains to go. And that's the place for me. That's the place where I'm hearing the father's voice because I'm out of my flesh for a minute and I'm totally yielded to him. And I'm I'm entering his courts with thanksgiving. And that's when those revelatory moments are happening. That's where he's pointing out areas that he wants me to dive into. That's where I'm hearing the questions. Does that have to happen during fasting? No. Amen. Amen. Okay, important thing. I hope that helps. Can we negatively affect someone by our words, such as, they'll never change? Even when it looks hopeless, or that things or that person are not changing. Can we speak the word over them to say what we want to see them become? Well, what does the Lord say about us? And is that 100% in effect yet? Or are we still moving deeper in him and glory to glory and faith to faith? Are we becoming who the Lord says we are? Or are we that in one fell swoop? Right. So then if somebody is dead, they're not alive in Christ yet, or they're alive in Christ and they're not acting that way, they're flesh, they're being carnal, then isn't it more important we speak truth over them, even in our heart, that it doesn't leave our lips? Psalm 33.9, I believe, speaks to this well. There's a myriad of scriptures that speak to the authority and the power we carry in our mouth as kings and priests. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. That's our Lord. So if we live in Christ, and we have all the power and authority seated in Christ next to the Father... Every word, every thought matters.
We're in that same position as him. We speak and it happens. Whether we see it manifest or not, it's no different than healing. If 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 we speak truth and that healing doesn't manifest in the flesh yet, it has already happened in the supernatural if you've got faith to believe it. And it will manifest. We've got those testimonies right here. Yep. Yep. Matthew 28, 18 and 19. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. All power and authority was given to Jesus Christ, and we're in him. So I'm drilling on this because it's an identity thing again. See how important that identity component of this whole journey is? Our words matter. Our thoughts matter. Because it's all a matter of the heart. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. Ephesians. That's all we need. We have the dead raising power inside of us. We just got to learn that we have it. Identity. And then know how to use it. To benefit all of creation. To bring those that are dead alive in Christ and literally dead carcasses alive. To cast out demons. Our speech is supposed to edify and encourage. That's uh, Ephesians 4.29. Please. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Why? not what sons do. Exactly. It's not what sons do. Anybody? Mm, nope. That's, that's a question that I want an answer to. For me, for me, there was lots of negativity spoke over my life at a young age. And it's taken a minute or five for Jesus to burn all of that out of my soul. I don't believe any of it anymore. And if it rises up, I call it the lie that it is. Because I'm a king and a priest and I know it. Let, let, no, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Yeah. Yeah. If I made a sidebar decay and nobody heard it, and it was a negative one about one of the beautiful saints that's sitting right here, it landed on you. That's the power of our communication. It's why we can't let those things. We've got to boldly love each other and say, "Mm, do you really want to say that that way? But that only comes from a place of submission in the body. Profanity is absolutely wrong because it hurts people's hearts. They're just made up words, but they're hurtful. And they cause somebody's heart to twist. But many Christians think gossip, criticism, and complaining are God-given rights. That's not at all what Paul taught. It's not at all what Jesus taught. Run from it. Turn your back and run. If you can't bring that person into truth, do not stay in that place with them. In the physical, 
Do not stay in that place with them. Unless you can bring them into truth. Yeah. Amen. Uh, a couple of things that I wanted to um, say. You know, the first part of the question was, can we negatively affect someone by our words, such as they'll never change, even when it looks hopeless or that things or that person are not changing? And I will say, if you're not speaking what God would say over a person or a situation, if it's not God, then what's the alternative? Right. Right? Right. You're agreeing with the enemy. When you speak things that are not what the Father says, what you see in the Word of God, you're basically on the enemy's side and saying what that enemy says about that person. God would never say about any of his children, they'll never change. God would never say that. He would never say that about anybody in this room. Right. So why would we speak that out of our mouths? So it's, it's just very important that, it, you know, when, you, when we speak, that we are speaking things that we know God would say. If you know God would totally say that about that person, that's what I'm going to speak. That's what I'm going to say. Yep. It's very important that you, um, that relationship with God is so important. How are you going to know what he would say if you don't know him? Right. Yeah. And you don't know his word. And that is also just a really good indicator for you personally. If you find yourself saying that out loud, they'll never change. Then, then it's like a little red flag saying, oh, okay, I'm thinking wrong. I'm believing wrong. It's just a great opportunity for you to, to, to be like, oh, Father, that just came out of my mouth. And if it came out of my mouth, it was in my heart. Right. Father, show me how to get that out of my heart. Show me where in your word says, what can I speak from your word over that person? I need to uproot that and put something in it that is life and good and powerful. Um, You know, you're not going to, you're not going to have faith that they're going to change if that's what's coming out of your mouth. You're going to lose hope that something's going to happen in that person's life. If you keep on speaking it out and, and you're never going to believe they're going to change. If that's what you're speaking, that's just going to create some disappointment in our lives. Um, so it, your words have power. Absolutely. Your words have power. And to speak out what God says about that person. Um, and that's what's awesome about, you know, praying in the spirit. Because sometimes... You know, we've talked about this before. You don't know what you're supposed to pray over that person. Right. But praise God. We can, we can pray in tongues over that person, and then God will reveal to us, okay, God, what can I speak over them in English based upon what I just prayed in the Spirit? Reveal to me the words of life that I need to start speaking and praying over that person. Because the word of God is not... Because um, the second question is, can we speak the word over them to say what we want to see them become? And we just got to be, um, I don't know if careful is the right word, um, but we can't usurp someone's will. Mm-hmm. You know, Pastor Steve talks about it all that time. We can't usurp someone's will. So because, you know, I'm speaking the word over someone, that doesn't mean that 
I'm going to override their will by speaking right. the word of God over them. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. So I just I just want to clarify that 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 you know we can we can pray and speak the word over someone, um, but they have to submit to that. Yeah, it's all choice. They all have choice. Yeah. Choice in everything. Yeah. Praise God we have choices. Yeah. Otherwise, we'd be serving a dictator. Yeah. Nope, not going to go there. We're not talking about America. We're talking about the kingdom of God. <laughs> if we speak the Lord's will, which is the scriptures, Right? And we seek his heart for an individual via tongues, via just meditation on them. The Lord will show you exactly what his heart in that matter and in that person is. And then sometimes fruit takes patience. Just does. We don't have to like it. We're frogs in boiling water, though, you know. On this very topic, speaking over people that way... In my lifetime, I've watched that disintegrate before my very eyes on how people talk to each other. And they're reaping what they sow. (laughs) You will reap what you sow in so many aspects of this journey, but especially with your mouth. Your actions are also seed, but there you're planting that seed that's not truth from the Father. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And our flesh doesn't like it because our soul wasn't trained that way in public education, in education, in the workplace, in the world, on television, movies, couples we see on TV, chewing each other up, spitting each other out, talking about a bad kid, oh, you're so, you'll never, blah, 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 lies from the pit of hell. And it's actually numbed us as believers in a lot of ways well, it's just the way you talk. No. No, it's not. So it's another part of our flesh that needs to die. Praise God. It's not, if it's not of you, burn it out of me, Lord. Get rid of it. Show me that spot and please take it out. I don't want to be that. That's not who I am anymore. Yeah. Okay, let's, let's do a... Beloved question. Who wants to go? Hello. Hello. Thank you to whoever wrote those questions, and bless you for those answers. Those were amazing. Thank you. Um, So Pastor Steve is gone again, and being involved with the parts that I am in the church, there have been several changes. There have been things that have come up in my life, and... Praise God that I got to a place where I'm secure enough that I may have been shook, but I haven't fallen like I would have in the past. Amen. And it just dropped in my heart this morning that as our church continues to become more influential and Pastor Steve goes to minister elsewhere, Rugged is gone on a Sunday ministering somewhere, um, how important, which I already know the answer to that, but... What can we or should we be so purposeful about so that we don't use, lose our knitting together where people don't start 
hearing the enemy say, oh, they're not going to be there. You don't have to go this weekend. It's just one time. Or you don't have to participate in that. Or you don't have to go to grace group because the leader's not going to be there. I know it's vital. How do we, I don't know, whatever the Holy Spirit's telling you to say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good, because I don't want it to be what I want to say. (laughs) (laughs) Question. So... I guess the, the foundational question there is, who are we chasing? Who's feeding us? Jesus or a man or a woman? Yeah. Who? Yeah. Just, just who is my heart seeking? So if, if there are no coincidences in the kingdom of God, I can tell you from my own experiences, the times that I struggled to go because I didn't want to or, ah, it's a Tuesday thing, you know. And I don't mean staff meeting, I just mean... (laughs) (laughs) Darn, wrong pick day. If there's things going on that I'm fairly certain I'm supposed to be involved in outside of our body or inside our body, and I push through my soul and my flesh for that very reason, or I'm tired, or I'm hungry, or I'm sure i got to be doing this tonight as opposed to that, those are the times my socks get blessed off because mm-hmm. I pushed through. Yeah. Amen. I sought the kingdom first. Not a man, not a woman, not a place, not a gathering, not a... Nothing. I sought him first, and I got my socks blessed off because of it. You're absolutely right. As we, you know, this, this ecclesia, this body, has opportunities everywhere as we all grow in Christ and go minister other places. All of us do. So, for me, what always comes up in my mind when I miss going somewhere and I hear about, oh gosh, wish you were here, or I'm there and I wish I was here, I go right to Paul. I'm with you in the Spirit. And it's the real deal. I'm basking in what they're basking in a thousand miles away. For real. Because that's where my heart is. It can be in two places at one time. We're not flesh. We're spirit beings. Back to that identity thing, huh? So if our father saints, but we just soon lay on the couch or sweep the floor or do the laundry, whatever whatever it is, or so-and-so is not going to be there, so I'm just going to stay home, um, okay, That's back to that choice thing. I choose the kingdom first above all things. And yeah, it's a struggle in the flesh sometimes. Because there's stuff that doesn't get done. There's there's people that say, gosh, that's all you do. Yup, praise God. (laughs) Amen. I'm just going to reiterate what Bob said again, that beloved church is not Steve Castle. Beloved Church is not the worship team, as awesome as they are, as awesome as, as Pastor Stevens. He's pretty awesome. I like him a lot. And um, really, yeah. 
Um, but that's that's not beloved church. Isn't Steve Castle? Beloved church isn't the worship team. You know, we are a family, and this is about relationship. So even if there was a Sunday where Pastor Steve was gone and Rugged was ministering somewhere else, that because we love the people that are in this building, it doesn't matter who's up on this stage. We're going to be here because of the relationship we have with one another. Right. Right. I, I, I come here Sunday morning not because I'm the pastor's wife and it's my, on my to-do list to do. Oh my gosh, that's terrible sounding. I'm here because I love y'all and I want to be with y'all. And I get so disappointed when I don't get to say hi to someone on Sunday or hug someone on Sunday because look how many people are in this room that I get to love on and hug and chat with and I, I get to maybe hug like maybe a quarter of the people in this room. Like it, you know, it boils down to it's not about me. And when you stay home, you, it's about you, right? And what you want or what your flesh wants. Yep. But that's not what beloved churches, and we've created that family, that relationship, that desire to be in a room with people that we love, that we have relationship, and to bring people into that. Amen. Right. That we are on purpose, like, oh, that's a new face. I'm going to have to go say hi to her. Because I want to know who she is. And she looks like she's fun. So I'm going to go say hi, right? And it has nothing to do with Pastor Steve. It has nothing to do with the worship team. It has everything to do with the kingdom. Yep. And so when we, when we have that culture in our body, and we're all purposeful about creating that culture, that's how, when we, we do have some, some of the leadership team traveling, it doesn't change a lick what's going on in this building on Sunday morning. Amen. Amen. I, I'm going to use Pastor Paul as an example. I love my brother, and I love the time we get to spend together. I love when him and Fran are here worshiping together. But they're not here all the time because they're out ministering. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. If we submit ourselves one to another and we realize that that person that just came to Christ last week or a month ago has revelation we don't have and we need it, then it doesn't matter. Because we're, we're being the ecclesia that God created. He drew us here together for a reason. There's no coincidences. Zip. So it's only our flesh that would make us say, not today. Hope that makes sense. That was awesome. Is there... Any way to understand why some people are open to hearing and receiving the truth of Jesus and other people are so unreceptive to hearing the truth? People raised in the same family, so have the same values and morals taught, but can still be so opposite regarding God and his word Is it just self-will, or is there a reason why 
some receive and others reject truth. I'm praying for an unsaved family member. So from a foundational standpoint, that's the sower and the seed. And we're not afraid to speak that truth here. It's a fact. Some here and some don't. Maybe the weeds aren't out of the way. Maybe there's no topsoil on top of those rocks. Doesn't mean we don't love them. We don't speak the Father's heart into them. We don't speak truth into their lives. We don't cover them up with the agape love that we're covered up in and love them into that place you're in. You can only love people over to where you are. While you're getting love deeper over here. Yeah. And then you can love them over there. So I'll go right back to that person that just came to Christ. They've got something for you. They really do. I can give you testimony after testimony within this very body of brothers and sisters that were drawn deeper by somebody that is only loving them from where they're at at that moment. Does that mean they got it all worked out? Yeah, heck no. Nobody's got it all worked out yet, or at least I don't know anybody. It's a journey, not a 50-yard dash. So there's three different places that Jesus told us that story, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But it's very specific, and it, and it broke his heart to the point that he cried when he was telling the disciples. Why did you, why did you tell that parable? Because the multitude of people I just spoke to, only 25% of them got it. Don't let that be you, brothers and sisters. Don't let that be permission either to not speak truth, to not release the Father's heart over somebody in declarations, and to not love them physically Keep your heart in that place. Pastor Pete shared this morning, God loved us all first, 100%. That never changes, ever. That never changes. So who are we that we can't love somebody in their muck and mire that same way he loved me in that muck and mire? I know, none of y'all came out of muck and mire. (laughs) So how can I not love somebody out of the muck and mire in that place? Doesn't mean we don't speak truth, but we love them out of that place. So, yup, in the flesh, we have to realize, darn it. And it's frustrating. If we let it be. If we understand the Father's heart for them, it's not frustrating We just love them. We pray for them. We bless them in Jesus' name. And we love them out of that place. Knowing full well the seeds have been planted, the Holy Spirit will water those seeds, and the Lord will bring people across their paths, not cause things to happen. The Lord will bring people across their paths, paths, To continue to plant seed and fertilize and water the seeds you've planted. Yeah, amen. Um,
I want to say, well, my answer is no. But, um, <laughs> um, but the first question was, is there any way to understand why some people are open to hearing and receiving the truth of Jesus and other people are so unreceptive to hearing the truth? Yes, Holy Spirit. He, he knows. He knows, he knows what is, um, what is needed in the moment. He also knows why every one of us are the way we are. (laughs) And, and just because someone is raised in the same family and they were taught the same things, that, that doesn't mean it, we're not cookie cutter. It's not a formula. Right. It, it, it all is what we choose to receive and what we choose to reject. I have five siblings. Brought up in the same household. And we have completely different lives. Ever six, six siblings, completely different lives. But yet we all have the same childhood. And the reason that I have the life that I have is because I chose to embrace the, the word of God and what God said about me. Amen. And some of my siblings, unfortunately, don't have the life I have because they really don't believe it. And they don't want to embrace it because it's easier for them to stay where they're at because it's comfortable and it's safe. And I'm pretty sure everyone in this room probably knows those people, that it's not good, their life's not great, but because it's comfortable and it's what they know, they stay there. On that same line, we've got Scripture speaking to that very point with the prodigal son. Yeah. And he bolted. And did his father run after him? Nope. Did he know that the seeds that were planted in him, in truth, would manifest at some point? Because it can never be taken away. And until that choice was made by that young man to actually succumb, and for some, because we're all uniquely created and different, praise God, yeah. it took utter despair in his lifestyle to bring him back to his father, to bring him to a place of humility and submission. Yes. We all have heard testimonies, or I can't imagine we haven't, of the person that was on their knees with a gun barrel in their mouth and encountered Jesus in a real way. And their life's never been the same since. And we know people that were raised in the body of Christ and accepted those truths and those revelations like our children are downstairs right now being spoken truths and that's who they are. They don't have to have that moment because they've made those choices with the truths that have been put into them. Amen. It's It's a sticky wicket to keep your heart right when you have family or those you care about deeply that aren't walking this out 
It is. But we just have to realize all we can do is what Jesus did. It's, again, a perfect place to model Jesus. Amen. Keep your heart in that right place. Speak truth, knowing that it's landing somewhere. Well, maybe it took 30 times on the rock and 50 times in the, in the thorny, weedy stuff, and that one just ended up in that perfectly tilled and cultivated via the Holy Spirit soil, and boom! Oh, glory to God! Yeah, amen. Keep being who we were created to be. But you can't be in that place without knowing who you are. Back to that identity thing. That's how vital this is. Yeah. Hope that helps. When praying, if we pray incorrectly... Maybe our words aren't exactly right. Does God look at our heart and know what we're asking him for and answer our prayers based on our heart? What I want to, what I want to say is, newsflash, God doesn't speak English. He speaks heart. Do our words matter? Yup. But only when our heart's attached to it. First and foremost, it's all a matter of the heart. So, is it important that my words match the heart? Yup. How does that happen? Via Holy Spirit. And if you're not sure about those words, pray in tongues. Holy Spirit will show you or you will be declaring those tongues out. Pastor Craig shared an excellent testimony. If you guys weren't here last Sunday night, Sorry, I'll do my best on a flyby. But he started speaking in Spanish with someone who didn't know Spanish, and they were interpreting into Zulo. Zulo, Zuho. Okay, that. That other language, not English, not Spanish. She knew exactly what he was saying and translated it. The Holy Spirit, I know. That's the Spirit of God moving. That word was supposed to go forth, and it did. Okay, so if we're praying, we always want to pray correctly because our words matter, right? We just went through that, how important our words are. The Lord spoke, and there was light. Didn't say he thought. Didn't say he wanted there to be light. He spoke it into existence. We speak things into existence. Yet, if it's all a matter of the heart, there is grace as we grow. That's not an excuse to make a mistake. But it allows the Holy Spirit. Am I the only person in the room that sometimes says something and goes, hey, wait, whoa, 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 that's not what I meant to say. Yeah. I'll take it by laughter, yeah. There is others. So in the spirit for myself, I know I've prayed for people, over people, into a situation, and the Holy Spirit has corrected me, and I've reverbalized in the way the Father's heart was into that situation. 
It happens. Do I want it to happen? No, I want it to come out perfect every time. That's my flesh, though. Not there yet. But I am getting there. So it's super important that we pray correctly. We pray the Father's heart into all things. If we have all power and authority in our words, then yes. Our declarations and our prayers need to be spoken correctly. Can we go back to discipleship for a minute? We don't copy what other people do. We don't copy words and phrases and sentences of other people's prayers. That's religion. Yeah. But we pray the Father's heart via the Holy Spirit into the situation, knowing His will, which is the Scriptures. So we know His will, the truth. We seek His heart in a matter, and we use our words and put our heart behind it to declare it into that situation. We don't have to beg. We don't have to... Yeah, we don't beg. John 5.19, please. Thank you. Why did Jesus say this? This has been on my heart the whole time I've been on this journey since 2016. This is an important scripture. And I know the answer. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the son can do nothing of himself. Anybody else a son? I'm a son. I can't do anything of myself but what he seeth the father do. So Jesus was praying for somebody and he sought the father's heart in that matter. What would you do, Dad? What's your heart in this matter? For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. That's us. That's us. So his will comes from the Scriptures. His design. His will is the Scriptures. We seek his heart. How do we do that? Via Holy Spirit. Father, show me your heart for this brother right now. Tonight, Did we talk about tonight yet? Tonight, we're diving deep on that. That very topic. Miss Kay, when she was sharing here about a month ago, at some point through that in the evening... There we are, back to that evening service again. It It was so awesome. They are so awesome. Pastor Steve was sitting right there, and she said, you know, I don't look at him as I see him in the flesh. A guy that self-admittedly is a guy. I see what the Father sees in him. Mm-hmm. That's a powerful, powerful statement for us all as we look at our children, our spouses, anyone we come in contact with. We need to see the Father's heart in them. So when we pray for someone, we don't pray for what we want to see in their life. Gosh, I wish they'd get a haircut, Lord. It bugs me every time I see them. 
If you could just give them some extra money for soap, Lord. Oh, they stink. Stop that. Not saying anybody else is doing that. Nope. We, pr- <laughs> we seek our Father's heart in all things, and then we release that via the Holy Spirit. Out of the flesh. Amen. Sorry, I got two scriptures I want to go to. I just don't know which one I want to go to first. The first thing I, I, I did want to say, and just to um, reiterate what um, Bob said, um, God can only bring his word to pass based upon um, his word being the authority and the power on this planet. And so he, when you're, you know, saying you're, you're praying incorrectly, God's only going to bring his word to pass. And so when we're praying, it is so important that we know his will and we are praying his will. So uh, go to James 4.3, please. So you ask and receive not because you ask amiss, mm. that you may consume it upon your lusts. Right. And then 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. Okay, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Amen. So how important is knowing his will? How important is that? It's a powerful promise. And just in in these scriptures that we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Like it brings you such confidence in your um, prayer time with the Father, if you know his will, how much more boldly do you go to that throne when you know what his will is concerning your life? If you don't go, you don't go in confidence, you don't go in power, you don't go in as a son. Mm-hmm. And so just how important is that if you, if you don't know or you think you're praying incorrectly, Get into the Word. How important is it for us to know the Word of God? You cannot pray the will of God if you don't know the Word of God. Amen. Amen. And so if you, if you find yourself not being confident in your prayers, like, ah, I don't know if I'm saying it right. I don't know if this is the right, you know, the verbiage. Not that, I, that we're trying to, to um, turn it into a formula. If, if I say everything perfectly... Again, that's performance. But it's very easy to be effective in your prayer life and have confidence in your prayer life when you know the will of God. Amen. Then the words are easy to speak because you know the heart of the Father. 
If you know the heart of the Father, the words will come out of your heart and they will be truth and they will be life. And you will have that confidence to know that I am praying the will of the Father. Right. Amen. And then your heart's in alignment with yeah. him. Yeah. A hundred percent. So good. Amen. So, what is a soul tie? How does it happen? What does a person do to make a soul tie? Is a soul tie always a bad thing? How do you break a soul tie? Who can you form a soul tie with? What scripture does it reference a soul tie? That's like a pool reporter to President Trump. Follow-up question, follow-up question, follow-up question. Wait, I didn't get the first one. Hold on just a minute. One at a time, please. It's a great question because it's probably, in Christianity, one of the top three bestseller books on the list. That all revolve around not knowing your identity and who we are and what we carry and God's set up as humans. First, we're a spirit, body, and soul being. Yes? Three parts. Mm -hmm. Anybody find it a coincidence? Sidebar. Anybody find it a coincidence that the God has three parts? Nope. And so are we? I know. So if we're a spirit, body, and soul being... Unlike many of the teachings that are out there, where's that soul tie coming from? That word, that phrase, that punch phrase, soul tie. It's coming from your soul. But we also know God's word and how we come in union, a male and a female, and what happens in the supernatural then. Right? I'm really going to do my best. (laughs) this is tenuous territory so our hearts can become attached to somebody in a way that is just agape love and agape love I love my brother and sister in Christ I, I can say I love that brother in Christ I love that brother in Christ I care about every part of his being that's not going to create a soul tie That's a healthy kingdom relationship. I would do anything for that brother, and I know that I know that I know that brother would do anything for me. Right? Whether it's a brother or a sister, doesn't matter. In the world, that's a sticky wicket. But in the kingdom of God, it's not. Within the body, the way the Lord designed the ecclesia to be. Okay. But if you're speaking about the physical act of becoming one, that's a totally different story. Totally different story. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 and 16, please. Know ye not that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. 
What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. So back to the frogs in boiling water. Anybody remember television shows? I know, back TV too. <laughs> television show when a man and a woman sleep in different beds. You never saw them in night clothes together. You never saw them kiss. <clears throat> Maybe a peck on the cheek or something. And now you have a hard time watching a PG movie, film, television show that there isn't becoming one in the flesh involved. It's everywhere. It's frogs in boiling water on this very topic. It's not okay. Because it's like sticking two boards together with glue. And then the next morning or that afternoon or a month from now, or two years from now, ripping them apart. There's going to be damage to both boards. Part of one staying with another, and vice versa. When we join together sexually, yeah, this is the part that really is be much better if Pastor Steve was talking about. We're just getting you out of your comfort zone. <clears throat> so, if we join together one with another, a supernatural bond is done. You became one flesh. Spirit, body, soul just became one. Now you take your body away from that person and you're separated from each other. It creates horrendous problems long term in desiring, thinking about, longing for that you don't even understand in your brain. You know that love we know from our father that doesn't make sense in our brain? Same thing. It's there constantly. He loves us. Without question. Unconditionally. That right there. Same thing. And our souls get all entangled in that. And it creates a mess. Who can set us free from any mess? So if we go to... Facts are, there's no such thing as casual sex. That bonding that happens in the spirit is a real thing. There is no such thing as one night, one minute, one moment. And it will haunt you forever. Until you give it to the Lord. Some humility, some submission, some knowing that it's there and needs to be broke. And I say broke because that's the word that's always used. How do I get rid of this soul tie? How do I get rid of that? Okay, give it to the Lord. Fully. Not kind of, sort of. Because if you keep dabbling, you're still partnering with it. In your mind even. Or in your heart. Matthew 5.28 Please. But I say to you that whosoever looketh on a woman lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. I got newsflash. 
It can be the other way too, right? Just to not... Okay. So it's all a matter of the heart. So now all of a sudden, we're being told that just our soul and our heart can make a spiritual attachment. Snap. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Is that? I, I know it's a kids' church song, but really, truly, we have to walk tenuously in what we allow to get in here. And the world says it's okay, and it's not okay, because you can connect in a soulish way, in a supernatural way, just by that. Said the Lord. It's that easy. It's that slippery of a slope. So, indeed, it is a really big deal. Unfortunately, I don't see a lot of great teachings on not only what a soul tie is, how it's formed, or how to give it to the Lord so you can be free of it, because we're free in Christ. Not 99%, not, oh yeah, there's that old baggage from that soul tie. No, we're free. But we've got to let them make us free. Only Jesus can give us that kind of freedom with full repentance on our part and surrendering to him all of those little places that we don't want to talk about. There's a lot of questions in here. How does it happen? Through our heart. Through physical action. Is a soul tie always a bad thing? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't find a place where a soul tie is a good thing. Unless it's your spouse. We talked about who you can form a soul tie with. And we talked about what scripture references a soul tie, I hope. I hope that answers the question for you. I'm going to start at the bottom. Where in Scripture does it reference a soul tie? Nowhere. Nowhere. Um, this is something uh, that really is psychology-based. Right. That we've we've come somehow twisted it and turned it into to now it's it's a Christian thing. It's a buzzword. It's a yeah. It's selling books. So we're gonna. We're going to punch out. We're going to we're going to twist scriptures into creating this this thing called a soul tie. Um, I I find it irritates me because it creates ways for people to make excuses for their lifestyle, for their behavior, for their bad choices. Well, I just I, I have a soul tie. I just can't. I can't. Get away from this person, or I can't. That's just such crap. Like, come on. I'm sorry. It just, it just, it just irritates me how psychology has infiltrated the kingdom. Well, actually, no. Psychology has infiltrated the church, not the kingdom. And we have somehow thought, okay, oh, that's how I'm going to fix my problems. This psychological 
theory of how I'm I'm I got a soul tie with this person or give it to Jesus. And it's when Jesus encountered the woman at the well. When he encountered the woman caught in the act of adultery, did he address their soul ties? Did he address their soul at all? No. He spoke truth into their lives. Right. Right? Our soul is our mind, will, and emotions. Our heart is that connecting point between our spirit and soul. So heart and soul are two different things. And our, our soul is that, that place in the middle. Mm-hmm. Our flesh wants to go this way and our spirit wants to go this way. And our heart is what is that connecting point where our spirit is wanting to influence our soul right. in the way we think. And our will, what we want to do, and our emotions. Our spirit wants to lead our emotions, not let our emotions lead us. And so, um, to have that soul tie thing is... our, Our emotions, our mind, and our will... Choosing the flesh mm-hmm. over the spirit. Okay, so our 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 soul is leaning. To, so when when we're we're using the word soul tie, it's our soul choosing the flesh. Mm-hmm. That's why we we do things sexually we shouldn't do. That's why we do things emotionally we shouldn't do. That's why we. Um, choose to think a certain way is because our soul is leaning over to that flesh side and saying, I want to do this. Instead of leaning over to the Spirit of God's side, which says there's a, there's a godly way to, to have emotions. There's a godly way to think. And so I just, I just want to encourage you that if you don't see something in the Word of God, I would, I would not, I would be very, very, I, I want to say I would just chunk it. <laughs> it's gone. Um, and I, I, whoever asked this question, like, you're on the right track. Where in Scripture does it reference this? Right. Yeah. That's awesome that you're seeking, like, where is it in the Word? Because if it's not there, I don't want anything to do with it. Amen. Right? Yeah. But then not only do we look at the Word, but we look at Jesus. Did Jesus teach that? Did Jesus talk about that? Did Jesus address that when he was ministering to other people? If I don't see it in the Word and I don't see Jesus doing it when he was ministering on this earth, then it's probably not kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so they've just, they just taken, taken the Word and what soul is and they've just twisted it into something um, that it's not. I think with that, they've given permission for people to stay in that place. We yeah. know supernaturally we become one. 
but they've given permission for you to stay in that place of muck and mire and keep that yeah. little closet to yourself. Yeah. When indeed, Jesus will set you free of all of it yeah. with repentance and submission of that place. Yeah. In the world, we all know people that have been in really abusive relationships they can't get out of it. That's that. Yeah. That's that place they can't submit and look for the Father's heart. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah, it, it takes some boldness. And it, I mean, to walk away from something. Like, we've all had those moments in our lives when we're just, this is the easier thing. This is what I'm familiar with. And just because, you know, you know, people in abusive relationships, we just can't fathom it. Like, how do you stay with something? How do you, how do you stay there? But we do it, but it's these little things. You know, it's not the, it's not the in-your-face blatant, oh, my gosh, he's beating you. Why are you still right. there? right. But yet, yet we, we have those little small places in our lives where we, we keep those connections that shouldn't be there with people that we shouldn't be connected with. Right? Sometimes oh, they were my friend the in high school, so you know, I gotta, you know, I gotta have lunch with them every once in a while. Or, um, you know, we're born again. And our, and our friends that we used to have, they're not the friends we should be hanging out with anymore. But it's just so hard for us to let go of them. But they're really nice. They're really nice. They're my friend. You're going to have to walk away. And it's hard. It's hard to walk away from those friendships. And it happens within families, within yeah. friendships, organically. Just organically. Yeah. just happens. And it's okay. Don't get bound up over it. Yeah. Don't let the enemy get you bound up over that. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Boy, we just crashed the New York Times bestseller Christianese list. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. All right, well. Um, We lost our question. That was where I was going. Okay. So, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. If a person's physical body dies and their spirit goes to be with the Heavenly Father, then who are the dead in Christ that are being raised up on the first day of the rapture? So, but I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which fell asleep that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we are we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So again, the question is, if a person's physical body dies and their spirit goes to be with the Heavenly Father, 
then who are the dead in Christ that are being raised up? So the word sleep refers to those that are already dead. Their spirit is already in the kingdom of God, but their flesh has not been renewed. So we will be caught up in the flesh, in our sanctified bodies, also will those saints that went before us. So it's not a sticking point, per se, to who gets what first. It's, it's how the Lord laid it out, that the saints that went before will be in the flesh in heaven, in their sanctified, glorified bodies, and we will join as we're taken up taken over, taken in. It's a pretty simple concept to me. So as I, as I read that and kind of prayed about it, I'm, I would probably have to, to dive deeper on that. I'd probably have more questions than I'd have answers to start with so that I understood the heart of the question in a little deeper way. Um, but I'm a pretty simple guy and I can read the scripture and know that my father said those that have died before the rapture in Christ will be taken up first and then I go to yeah there yeah I like to keep it simple yeah yeah right yeah and I know there's theologians that have probably spent 40 years on those very scriptures bless their hearts Yeah, and then you get, you get stuck there. Yes. And that's, yeah. And it's hard to be a doer of the word when you're stuck someplace. Yeah. Okay. That's where I'm at with that. Yeah. Pretty yeah. simple. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Bob. Okay. Then, Miss Cindy's ready. Hi. And this is probably going to be our last question. Yes. So, I don't know. That is so hot. I don't, I don't know if I am... I wonder if I get if I'm getting caught up in like comparison mode and it's making me second guess myself or if it's something that the Holy Spirit is bringing to my attention. So I don't know. I'm not sure where it's coming from. So it has to do with parenting. And I believe that. So my kids are all grown Um, of legal age, they're doing their things, you know, they're in all the different places doing all the different things. And I don't, I don't think that I am so, so much like supposed to really parent them anymore. Um, I believe that we are brothers and sisters in Christ with my children. And that sounds so weird, but I think that that is true. And I, I believe that I should kind of disciple like I would anyone else in the church and have relationship with, with other people in the body with my children as well because it's not like Julia's seven and getting ready to race out in the street and I got to yank her back. Um, so I guess my question is, 
So then I see a lot of other parents, and not specifically speaking in the church by any means, just on social media, holy cow, at Walmart, and and maybe in the church, I don't know, I don't have anything specific in mind that I'm thinking of, that either do parent their older children or don't. So I wonder if I'm doing it wrong. (laughs) I wonder if I'm supposed to be more in a parent role with my adult children, I believe that they need to be accountable for their choices. And I also believe it's not my responsibility to hold them accountable. They have to get that revelation. My responsibility is to speak truth. Like every answer that you guys have given up to this point has sort of poured into me the the answer, I think. Um, But I didn't want to not ask the question. So... I don't think that it is my business what they're doing as adults from a parent standpoint. But as a Christian and as a woman of God and a woman with more experience and wisdom in the things of the Lord and in the word, I feel like that is where my responsibility lies to share my truths and revelations with them, but not to be like the overbearing mom. And I'm, I'm wondering, is there a gray area in that? Is it one? Is it the other? Where does, where does that fall? Does that make sense? Hmm. Right. So interesting, another part of Frogs in Boiling Water, that in the world today, parents are their children's friends. Not their parents. Yeah. That's a big deal. Huge. So if you're somebody's parent, when you're someone's parent, you're not always their best friend. Although, of course you want to be their friend. You want to be their buddy. You want to have fun. You want to laugh together. You want to do stuff. But you still got to be their parent. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's what you're charged with by the Creator. You were gifted with that child to raise it in accordance with our Father's heart and His will. Okay. That being said, as we send our youth, our children, we raise them to the best of our ability with what the Lord has given us to raise them with. I know everybody in this body did. We speak as much truth. We give them the foundations. We, we get them exposed to things that we know they need to be productive in themselves and learn how to make good choices, right? Okay. Then our role kind of changes from that parent figure that you've got to scoop the kid up because he wants to run into the street to the kid that doesn't want to sit and read, but you sit and read with them so they learn to read the scriptures and they learn to explore knowledge and revelation, and we bring them into the body of Christ and raise them up that way, then that role that never truly ends as a parent because the relationship just changes. I told my kids, man, when you're in your 20s, I want to be your friend, but right now I'm charged with being your dad. Did I do it perfect? Nope. Did I want it? Yeah, it was my heart. But then that role changes out to what you're talking about, and we become 
an elder in their life. Yet we're still their parent. We all want to be that go-to person. We're, we're home plate. So when stuff goes wrong, they know they can come to us in openness, honestness. There's no guilt and condemnation. We're going to love them and we're going to help them sort the mess. Yet, that elder position begins to take place where we are speaking truth into situations. We are speaking revelation into situations. The elders in the body of Christ throughout Scripture is a big deal. It's a big deal. So I think that there is an evolution to this parenting thing. And we all of a sudden assume two roles as these children grow. Both carry responsibility. And there's times in both of those worlds that a child will be doing something mid-life, mid-their life. And as their parent, you're going to look at them and go, are you sure you're going to want to suffer the consequences of that? And again, consequence isn't always bad. Just going to take you to my world for a minute. We go to work and we work five days and do a good job. Consequence is Paycheck. Keep doing it over and over. Consequence is raise. Go out and do something stupid. Consequence, you might get arrested. You might hurt yourself or somebody around you. You may live in pain and suffering because of that 15 minutes of joy and pleasure for a long time so you can die to yourself and give it to Jesus. Why do you want to go through that? As an elder, we've got to speak that way to the kids we love. Yet we're still their parent. We're that grounding place for them to come. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great place to be. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's, it, and it's a place of high honor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we're... Um, God will always be our Father. Always. He is God the Father. Amen. And so, if we're always going to need God the Father... Our children are always going to need our, our fathering. If we're, we're always going to need God's fathering, our children are going to need yeah. our fathering. Yeah, that's good. And just like Bob said, it's going to change. The way you parent your children at two is not the way you parent your children at 20. The way God fathers us when we're babes is different than when he fathers us when we realize we're sons. Amen. And so it is a journey. It is asking God, how do I father them the way you would father them in this moment? We are a reflection of God the Father to our children. And so the question is always going to be, God, how do I father the way you father? How do I parent the way you parent? In this situation, at this moment, in my child's life, how can I show them you? Mm. So it's, it's a journey of reflecting him to our children for the rest of their lives. So we never stop fathering. We never stop parenting. But it just, it's different. Just like Bob said, it's different. And if, as long as we're seeking God on how to father the way he fathers, that's all, that's, that's all, you, that's all you need to focus on. How do I father the way you do? How can I show them you through me? Right back to that yeah. constant communication with the Holy Spirit, seeking the yeah. Father's heart in that situation, in that moment. Yeah. That's truly yeah. 
truly where we're at. Help? No. Um, Should we do one more? There is one more. I know we're pushing it. Go ahead. Yep. Just a quick question. Um, with, the holiday, with the holidays approaching, um, do you, can you point me to uh, just guidance with being around family members that are um, negative, critical, and judgmental? How do you... Well, we'll go back to that okay. initial question. <laughs> and again, I, I, no, I, ha- I have set very a lot we're, of help. Healthy- is everybody else in this body in that place? You've come to the right place to be mentored in that. And I've set healthy boundaries, and I have distanced okay. myself, my time with them. But the, uh, So, again, this is coming up, and I just thought I'd yep. throw that out there. Thank you. So, if we know our identity in Christ, and we know how we're supposed to speak into things and situations, and that every word that comes out of our mouth or every action of our heart has to do with them, and we're leaking the kingdom everywhere we go, we're atmospheric with his love, those situations change. So you can go there boldly knowing who you are in Christ, and they're not going to affect you. You're actually going to infect them. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to have those boundaries. I did. I do. And, and many that I speak into their lives do. And I encourage that. But it doesn't mean that there doesn't come a point where you're strong enough in your identity that you can't offset that negativity or all of that nonsense by your presence being there, being a doer of the word, and bringing heaven into that situation, being who you are in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they're speaking negatively towards you, identity is so important. Because their opinion, I mean, this sounds bad, like you're, you know, your family should... Um, I don't know, just value their opinion. But honestly, if what they're saying to you does not line up what God says about you, who cares? Who cares? Like, seriously. Like, God loves me. If you don't like me, yeah, okay. Like, yeah, you know, for real. Like, seriously, like, I, you know, you, we want the people in our families to love us and to appreciate us and to speak life to us. Like, of course, of course we want that. But if they don't... Like, God says I'm, I'm loved. God says I'm valued. God says I'm his son. So if my parents don't know how to talk to me, you know, that's... People are a product of what they grew up with. And honestly, I really do have a lot of um, understanding and grace for a lot of the people in my family because I know that the way that they speak are the way they were spoken to. Mm-hmm. And the family they grew up in. And so they're doing what they learned. Mm-hmm. And until someone opens their eyes to a different way of speaking and talking and being family, they're going to stay in that same mindset. They're going to stay in that same way of thinking yep. because they're never shown anything different. Yep. And so, you know, it can be hard going into those family environments when they are just so negative and you're just like, ugh, I do not want to be around this. But at the same time, if we're not walking into our families with the light and the love of God, showing them something different, nothing's going to change for them. Like, we've been called to that family for a reason. We were born into right. that family for a reason. Right. And so, you know, praise God 
you know, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to show them something different that they have probably never seen before. And they will witness. They will know that you're not who you work. Yeah. Because those kind of negative things come from people that arrows never go downhill. If somebody's going to shoot you in the back, it's always coming uphill. So those family members are doing that through a place of manipulation and control. I might have missed one, but I, that pretty much nails it. So if all of a sudden they don't see you react the way you did six months ago or ten years ago or last week, your action just started planting seed. What is going on with him? That used to get him every time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. It's okay to go in and get out. And next week, you're a little stronger. Or six months from now, or next year, a little stronger. You can go in for a little longer. It's okay. It's okay. But you're actually transforming people's lives by your heart, by your actions, and by bringing heaven into that situation. And for myself, I actually testified to how it used to be and how it is as I went through that very process. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I want to bless you guys. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.